Hi, and welcome to Behind the Bites, episode 13. We're doing a bit of a special episode today, aren't we, Abbas? Absolutely. This is uh, not a sort of meeting in the office together and enjoying some lovely bites, unfortunately. That's the sad part of today's episode. Uh, we're doing this on Skype this time around. Yeah, even though we're in the same and, city. Uh, <laughs> new technology for episode 13. So I'm not sure how good I feel about introducing something new in episode 13, considering <laughs> a lot of people think that it's a bad uh, not a very good number, right. but oh well, let's see how this goes. And we can always blame it on uh, on the curse rather than our poor planning or whatever it is. <laughs> no, I think um, I think moving forward, we will need to figure out a way where we can communicate with each other over, uh, I'm going to say the dirty word, V-O-I-P. Oh. In UAE, I know you're not supposed to say it, but I'm going to say it. We need to figure out a way to work on this because obviously our hectic schedules for all three of us uh, don't necessarily allow us to be together at the same place every week. So, you know, we, we, we definitely need to work something out. Let's hope Skype works well. Uh, you know, this is our first episode recorded on Skype. And if everything goes well, then we'll probably be using this more often. Yes. And uh, where's Mike? Mike is out with the flu, apparently. I'm not sure if it's a man flu or if it's a real flu. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea <laughs> you know uh, but yeah that's what he says he's unfortunately he won't be able to join us for this episode um, and if he really has the flu i'm glad that he's not joining us i don't want anything uh, but yeah mike we don't miss you that's fine let's go ahead with that <laughs> get better soon mike even if you can't make it to podcast <laughs> if, it, if this is an excuse i'm sure you could have come up with something else <laughs> well, I do hope he's good enough to edit and publish the podcast because that's his job. Yeah, we depend we, we on don't that know how for him. <laughs> we depend. So, so we love you, Mike. You're great. You're the best. <laughs> All right, let's get started. So what's the big story this week? Uh, I think the first one we have on the list is Do is launching some smart home equipment. And I'm not sure if it's a plan. I guess it's just equipment that they're selling to you. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting how they have, what do they have? They've got lights, they've got uh, cameras, they have switches, they have, um, what else is there? Moisture or water levels? Or, motion sensors, know, like flood doors. sensors. Motion sensors, flood sensors, exactly. Sorry, that was the one I was looking at. Uh, they also have uh, detect motion detection for windows yeah. and doors and stuff like that. So a bit of a security setup, a bit of a home automation setup. Um, Prices start at around 2,000 dirhams or so. Uh, and I think they've got multiple tiers from what I remember. Yeah, so I, uh, I looked I at it and got, the way they're doing it, uh, they've got bundles. So existing bundles where you can just buy a set of devices, which if you know what your home needs and you have a basic understanding of how home automation works, you just buy these bundles and then you could potentially get help from them for installation as well. And then there's the customized solution. What the customized solution does is you go in to a do store, this one in uh, Al Salam Tower in uh, Media City. Okay. The, it's one of their flagship showrooms. And it's also where the do headquarters are. So you go in there and, and you talk to a home automation expert. And what they do is they understand your requirements, even come to your home to do a site visit of sorts. And, and then they prepare a customized solution along with hardware and installation for you. All well and good, but my concern is that this is such a rapidly evolving uh, market segment. We've got some new technology, which is better, cheaper, and much faster most of the time. Uh, the question is, do you want to sort of get stuck into something at the moment with home automation? I know I've, believe it or not, I started, uh, the first thing I did for home automation was using Wi-Fi LED bulbs across my house. 
I started with a company called, what was it called? LifeX. Right. Uh, yeah. they, they do Wi-Fi bulbs. And I bought about 20 of them over a course of a year and a half. Uh, and then comes Apple's HomeKit. And obviously, us as a family, being more of an Apple family, you know, my wife's got an iPhone, my daughters have iPads and iPods. Uh, this is not HomeKit compatible, LifeX. What that means is that it doesn't integrate very well with iOS. Yes, mm -hmm. you have an app on your iPhone or iPad that you can still use to control your lights, but it doesn't give you the cool factor of telling Siri to do them or you know, working alongside with other apps within the iPhone. So I literally took every single one of them out and am now using the Philips Hue system, uh, which is a competing standard, which also does Wi-Fi, light bulbs, colored, you know, white, and works fine with HomeKit as well as Android across multiple levels. So it's, it's one of those technology spaces that I think is evolving so rapidly that you really need to be very careful on what you choose. And at least looking at the list of things that do has in store for us, they aren't brands that I'm personally familiar with. So you don't have something like Nest or Belkin or LifeX or Philips or whatever else it is. They have brands which I'm assuming are good brands. I'm not saying they're not good brands. Yeah. Uh, not the ones that I'm necessarily familiar with, and I'm not sure how well they're going to work into your smartphone ecosystem moving forward. Um, you know, my thoughts on that. What do you think about it? So, I mean, I agree with the whole smart home thing, right? It's it's changing rapidly now. Fortunately, if you look at a lot of the devices. Um, they come because the industry hasn't been able to settle on a standard. You've got Zigbee, you have Z-Wave. Uh, these are all radio frequency uh, with which these devices communicate. Bluetooth is getting better. They've just announced a new protocol uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, which um, which provides longer range and lower battery life consumption. Wi-Fi in its That's own. That's 5.0. Yeah. Wi-Fi is also said to be in many ways mesh compatible. So a lot of these hubs which you look at, Instead of sort of sticking to one standard, what they do is they build in all these hardware capabilities to speak on multiple protocols, and then they start uh, building compatibilities with all the different uh, devices themselves. So, for example, within the hub, it will speak to a Zigbee light bulb and a Z-Wave door sensor and a Bluetooth, uh, you know, smart switch. Um, mm -hmm. But but you're right; they are. It is changing rapidly. Um, and, and for people to go ahead and make that investment, if not, but the question is, at what, at, at what point do people go in then? If, if not now, then yeah, when? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, you know, from my personal recommendation, I'd say just hold off for another six months to a year's time. Uh, I think Bluetooth 5.0 is a great new standard. Let's see what that brings. And as you mentioned, it's already been announced. Uh, rumors are that the Samsung Galaxy S8 will be the first phone that has Bluetooth 5.0. But I'm sure a lot more devices are supposed to happen in that in that uh, next few months as well. Now, another angle to this is not necessarily technology, but politics as well. Uh, for example, when you walk into an Apple store now, uh, the Withings is a company that Nokia recently bought, and it's becoming harder to find their products in Apple stores anymore. Wasn't the case six months ago, uh, you know. So these little alliances are continuing to be forming over the next will be continuing to form over the next few months, I think. And I think in about a year's time, you, you're you probably going to decide which camp do you sort of want to be in. Uh, you have the Apple camp and you have the Android camp right now. 
Uh, and I think things will be a lot clearer at that time as to where exactly is it that you want to stay in. I'm not saying that devices are not going to be cross-compatible. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got Nest cameras in my house, which are, are made by Google. Nest is owned by Google, and they work perfectly fine on the iPhone. I have absolutely no issues with that. Uh, but again, the level of integration that you want really depends on the compatibility these devices offer. Right. Uh, and that makes sense from a device and and where smart home as technology exists, right? Um, but what if we take a step back and look at the role that telcos are now playing? This isn't something which you would expect do to provide. This would, I you know, ordinarily be another technology provider like your local networking company or your IT solutions guy. But do is moving beyond from just provide being your telco where they give you phone, internet, TV, to now providing all these kinds of services um, among uh, now home automation. What what do you have? A, what do you say about that? Like, what do you think about that? I think, look, from what I remember, Itasalat also did something like this about a year ago, but their approach was more from what I remember on the security side of things. So they would come in and install security cameras and stuff like that right. uh, across your home. I think Itasala did this about six months, eight months ago, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it's just another way of, I guess, yeah, you're right. I mean, ideally, this kind of solution would come from a solution provider and not your telco. Yeah. Um, but telcos, it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion to have. Are telcos basically just going to be solution providers mm. based on the backbone of providing communications that talk to each other? Is that, is that their role going to be in the future? Or it's, it's definitely going to be very interesting to see what happens. I mean, look, I take a look, take an example of eLife. If the Salat's providing, you know, cable TV services, yeah. do provides cable TV services as well. Uh, not only that, but if the Salat also allows you to buy a TV from them right. with your yeah. eLife bundle. So, you know, I, it's, 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 it's going to be a very interesting space. Everybody's selling everything and i guess it for the consumer it's good for the consumer because you know obviously you have multiple solutions now and hopefully that brings pricing levels down across the board as well but whether it's a business that they need to be in or not i'm not sure if i can answer that uh, answer that question what do you think i so i remember this uh discussion which was happening about five to seven years ago that uh telcos were at the risk of becoming dumb data pipes where essentially all they did was provide data, whether it was your home or your phone or your office, and all these kinds of solutions and data, uh, all these kinds of content and applications were built on it, right? So, for example, if if do continue just providing internet and phone services, um, they would lose revenue from SMSs and phone calls because we were moving to WhatsApp and Skype and Viber and all of those situations, at least outside of UAE, we, people did. So... I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of this is in response to that. You can see that you can lease out even laptops and tablets from both Atasalat and Do. They're becoming your hardware provider. Um, and same is the, came, same is the case with uh, smart homes as well. So I feel like they've all, and not that they haven't already, but they're increasingly becoming your technology facilitator for for people who don't want, who have, very little idea and who don't want to go and work with smaller specialized brands. So for example, if you have no idea about so, uh, smart home automation, right, and you don't want to go and do your research, speak to five, seven different vendors, have no idea whether you'll get fleeced 
by them or overcharged by them, you'll go to do because you trust to uh, by virtue of the fact that they're a big name and they have your data connection and they have your TV and phone connection and your mobile connection as well. So I think, I feel like this is what telcos are becoming. They're becoming technology facilitators and their their mobile phone connections and internet connections and broadband connections are just a part of of their entire offering. So let me throw this question out to you. What is stopping Diva from selling these LED light bulbs that are wirelessly connected? Oh, probably not. I mean, I could I could see uh, a time when both Diva and Do compete on this because lighting both falls under technology and electric, exactly. electricity. And, and that's probably true for a lot of the devices moving forward as they're more technologically capable, right? What... I was having this discussion from someone from the TechView team. Uh, what is Tesla? Is it a car company or is it a technology company? Because mm, okay. we're excited about it in the form of technology company. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the product right now, or the biggest product right now, is an automobile, which takes you from point A to point B. So there's, there's a lot of overlap between these categories and and coming back to the Diva and do example, they might as well be competitors in this space in the future. That's uh, true. And, That's very, very and true. then if you look at it, Diva may also compete with Epco and uh, Imarat. In sure, terms, absolutely. In, in terms of powering cars. powering cars. So, and yes, in turn, know. they might be competing with you as a consumer if you have solar panels, for example. Exactly. Yeah. And you're generating your own power. So it's going to be a very, very, very fuzzy space, I think, in the next few years over which companies get, you know, doing what exactly. Uh, interesting to look, look, interesting to see how it turns out. I mean, I, I'm looking at the website and it seems like they have um, a lot planned. One of the things I find strange is that they recommend a minimum of 32 Mbps connections, which I, which I think is a little... <laughs> overkill and there may be a bit of a conflict of interest there maybe um uh-huh it's, a, uh-huh. Oh, sorry, okay, it's nice not even fun. recommended it's a minimum speed of 32 mbps really interesting yeah, yeah. very very interesting oh wow. yeah that that kind of makes me question you know uh what their motive is behind selling this hmm. if uh if, if a 32 mb line is required for these kind of services again like i said look at my home i've got uh, nest cameras running i've got philips hue light bulbs running and i you know i'm perfectly happy with the 16 mb connection you know right yeah uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with and i i honestly don't think you need a lot maybe for video streaming once you're outside the house from the security cameras but even for that, I think 16 MB is more than more than enough. Than you know what's required. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think these devices take up that much bandwidth. I have a couple of smart home devices set up at my home um, with a Vera hub, and I, I think I have a 16 Mbps connection uh, last I checked, or 20 as well, and I've had no struggles at, at all uh, having to run them. So, yeah, oh, well. I, I mean, agreed. <laughs> I guess they're like well, on all fronts. Well done, do. <laughs> While we're on the subject of do any news on um, version mobile? No, nothing, nothing yet. Um, I think there even was, I haven't heard anything. I got an email a couple of weeks ago, something about pizza coming through. Uh, whether you like pizza? Uh, right, and, it was some kind of survey they did. Yeah. So what? How? What? What do you want in your um, in your plan? More data, more mobile. Mm. 
so, so sorry, more minutes or pizza. And that that was strange. But okay. apart from that, nothing. <laughs> huh. Okay, I was hoping that uh, they'd announce something by now. It's uh, what it's the second half of March that we're sort of into now. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Oh, so well, here's the question: on. How do you like your sim? Uh, and the options are delivered to my door in a vending machine with extra pepperoni and cheese. Pick it up in store. Interesting. What would you choose? All of, well, in a vending machine with extra cheese. <laughs> I'd like it delivered to me. Yeah, that's true. I, w I would as well, with extra cheese. But... Yeah, with extra cheese for sure. Yeah, so we'll have to wait to see um, how that plays out too. <laughs> cool. Let's move on to the next story then. Yes. Uh, what do we have? Amazon and Souk. Uh, this talks about their talks being resumed, but this time at a lower price point. So last time when we spoke about it, Amazon and Souk had uh, been set to Amazon had been set to walk away from the deal uh, because of uh, differences. They they couldn't agree in a price. This was according to Bloomberg, and now again Bloomberg is reporting that they're now re they now have resumed talks. At a price point of six fifty million dollars, versus a billion dollars that previously Souk was looking for. Correct. That was their valuation, uh, based on the fact that they had raised two seventy five million dollars in their last round of funding on the valuation of a billion dollars. So that's about a thirty five percent discount in uh, in valuation. That's quite uh, a hefty discount, isn't it? Absolutely. The article also reports that other people who were considering this deal, including uh, Mazdal Futaim MF Holdings, uh, has also walked away from the deal. So Amazon is the only one who's left. Mm, and that may, okay. give, that may give Amazon leverage as well. But um, again, here's the question. Why does Amazon need Souk? I guess it's a good way to enter the market. That's what I think. I mean, Souk already has a big customer base. They have the logistics. Uh, you know, from that point of view, Amazon will not need to sort of do the groundwork or reinvent everything. Uh, you know, that that would be my my response to that. I think it's it's a ready-made model which Amazon is obviously very familiar with and is very good at. So they probably figured, look, I mean, if we sort of set up our own shop, it's going to cost us an X amount of money to do all of that. So why not just buy soup.com out, which is the largest e-commerce um, provider in the region, from what I know. I don't think there's anything else in the Middle East that's as big not as Not at Souk. that scale, no. At least not yet. Noon is expected to launch soon. Yeah. Let's see how that goes. But uh, yeah, so far, I think uh, Souk is pretty much the biggest player in the market. I'll, I'll come back to Souk. Uh, but on your point, sorry, I'll come back to Noon, but on your point about Amazon uh, wanting Souk's infrastructure, right? Now, mm -hmm. I, with all due respect to Souk, I, I also feel like Amazon will want to build its own infrastructure out and not take on uh, the sort of the platform that Souk has built because that may not work with their existing operations. Um, especially from a tech side of things, the the warehouses, yes, the people that's on board for last mile deliveries and everything, yes, that makes sense. But what about the tech stack of of Souk? That has got to be very different from what Amazon has in place across the world. Surely, there's like tons of integrations which 
Amazon has and customizations on its own platform, which Souk may not necessarily have because let's face it, Souk is a multi, uh, sorry, Souk is just about a billion dollar company in valuation, maybe even less, but Amazon is, is a multi, multi billion dollar company. That's true. I think they're going to throw away the entire stack as far as technology is concerned from Souk.com. And yes, they will sort of move everything to the Amazon platform. Uh, I assume that will be challenging, but I mean, considering the people that are probably involved in this operation, I would say that it's not going to be something that's going to be overly complicated. Right. Uh, I think Souk uh, or Amazon should be able to move all of that data across to its uh, its preferred method of um, softwares and stacks and solutions, hopefully in a reasonable time frame. But, but yeah, I think that from what I meant was exactly what you pointed out, last mile delivery, the warehousing, all of that kind of stuff is where I think Amazon will use Souk service if they have decided to sort of go ahead with it. Um, just completely sort of um, a rumor is, rumors or at least something that I've heard is that this is almost a done deal between Amazon and Souk. Okay. Uh, again, there hasn't been anything official, but I have heard from a couple of people that this is almost done. I mean, it's literally just a matter of signing the dotted line now. Interesting. Um, so how, if you look at other purchases by Amazon, right, they've purchased um, Zappos and Diapers.com in the US. Now, mm -hmm. both of these websites continue to run independently. Now, I, I, I imagine that would not be the case if Amazon enters this market because in the US, Amazon already had presence and they essentially bought these companies to own more of the competition, just like um, Facebook did with WhatsApp. Correct. Um, do you agree, disagree? What, uh, is, it, is it a complete replacement of Souk by Amazon if, if they are I think to go ahead and make the purchase? Yeah, no, I think it will be. I think Silk.com is pretty much going to go away and it's going to be Amazon. Uh, let me do ask you one thing. In India, Amazon exists. Did they start from scratch or did they come in and buy a provider? Do you have any idea on that? No, I, be I believe they entered themselves. They, were, uh, they, were, they didn't purchase an existing player like Flipkart or Snapdeal. Um, they came in, committed a lot of money. Last I heard, it was about $2 billion dollars. Uh, mm -hmm. okay. for, for the market and they went in from scratch. Of course, a lot of the tech was already there. They just repurposed that. But the infrastructure, yes, they had to build it themselves. And they were able to do, they, were able, they have been able to succeed in Amazon because uh, they were able to purpose build their infrastructure for the Indian market. And there's actually a Harvard uh, Business Review, Harvard Business School case study uh, on this as well, or or it was an article on Harvard Business Review. I can't find it, but we'll probably post it in um, in the description on SoundCloud once uh, once we have this episode live. So Amazon, from what I know, is the second largest e-commerce player in India, right? Right after Flipkart. Yes, that's correct. Okay, and how long did it take them to get to that position? Was it three years, five years? That I or... I can't. Uh, I can't say I have the answer to, but okay. um, they came in with a bang and they've been competing very hard in in India with Snapdeal and Flipkart because it is it is a huge market for them, right? China has remained the challenge for anyone, any company which is not Chinese. So India with, with its sheer size is the next big market. All the companies are trying to uh, 
sort of master, whether it's WhatsApp. Uh, WhatsApp has always been the leader, but if you look at Uber, for example, Uber's competing with Ola in India. Amazon is competing with Flipkart and, and Snapdeal in a major way. So they're prepared to do what it takes uh, to become number one in India. Interesting. And there's a sizable market, obviously not as big as the Indian market here in the Middle East. But uh, when you combine the entire GCC, Saudi, UAE, Qatar, Kuwait, Oman, Bahrain, you have a decent sized market. It's not a small market. Again, it's not as big as India or China. Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming it's enough to get the attention of uh, Amazon.com in the region. And then obviously, Noon is also something that uh, you had something to talk about. Yeah, I did. So I've read on Twitter uh, that they're launching by the 15th of April. 15th of April. Okay, yes. so that's in a month's time or so. Yes. Okay, that is a bit longer than I think what they initially planned on. Yeah, about three out. three months later than we expected. So three months later than we expected, but it would be nice to sort of see what what is it that I think it will be very crucial for them to launch before Amazon launches with Soup.com. Uh, I think that's uh, just from a mindset perspective. I think it's something that they need to launch uh, before Amazon finalizes the deal with Soup and then you know relaunches as Amazon.com in the region. Right. Maybe that's why Amazon is back on the table, right? Because they realize that this is in many ways an expedited entry. Even if they come in on day one and before they move the stack over are essentially operating Souk. Souk's entire operations as Amazon, they can start building up the brand cachet while they migrate the tech over um, and do the switch over. So, so they don't lose a lot of ground to noon as opposed to waiting six months a year building up the tech infrastructure while noon goes and cap goes ahead and captures uh the market share that definitely makes a lot of sense so yeah i think i think it'll be interesting especially since uh, noon is not just doing an e-commerce play but they're also doing travel and they're doing online payments uh very similar to what alipay is doing in china right and and paytm right. paytm is doing in india so it's going to be a very interesting year this year. We just need noon to go live, though. Did you read the story of uh, Soup.com opening offline locations, like brick-and-mortar locations? I believe uh, Gulf News or The National had it in today. Uh, I Someone had just posted a link to that, and I, I didn't read the story, actually. But uh, from what I read the summary of it, it was that they're planning on opening... Uh, physical like brick and mortar stores across uh, across the region so I, I did read that so i think i think what they're doing is these are display stores where you essentially they're calling them uh, customer experience centers where okay. you customers can order on souk and collect it from these offline stores um you also have a service center built in over there so people who want to have their because uh, they're running help bit right which is a service marketplace where you can go in and get um, services from, I think it's uh, carpentry, AC maintenance, electronics maintenance, mobile phone, laptop repairs, etc. Huh. Uh, okay. For and and there are also sort of experience centers where you can go and touch and feel some of the products before you make a purchase. Interesting. Okay. So I don't know if if you look at the product over there and you place an order and you can walk out with it. Maybe you can, right. assuming you ha assuming they have inventory, and they'll work in the way um, this store works in the U.S. in the U.K. Sorry, I think it's called Argos. Um, okay. Yeah. So the way Argos works is, 
essentially you have a bunch of catalogs, electronic catalogs and paper catalogs. And at the back of the store is this huge warehouse, but there's there's very little display area of some products. And you look at it, you go look at the product, you place an order on the machines, you get a ticket number, and then um, the product comes in from on all these automated belts from behind the warehouse, so you can pick it up and leave. Um, Very interesting. It's less of a supermarket, and I imagine only about 10 to 15% of the entire store is dedicated display area, and the rest is all inventory and warehousing. Very interesting. So, so I was going to say that uh, Souk has an office or a store in, on Shazayed Road. Yeah. Uh, but I'm assuming <laughs> that's probably not big enough to, uh, you know, warehouse things inside it. It's, it's, it's a, probably a good service center or a collection point. Right. Uh, but I'm assuming they don't have the facility to keep stock or you know, build a warehouse in that space. Yeah. So maybe people will go in because this customer experience center is on Sheikh Zayed Road as well. So I don't know if this news is about the one which exists already and it was probably there as a soft launch which they're formally and officially announcing now cuz huh. I think the one you're talking I think the one you're talking about is the same one cuz the press release says it's next to Villa Rotana. You can see that this, Yes, that's yeah, the one. That's yeah. exactly so this the is one. so yeah. I think this is the official release of that same store which uh, our listeners have probably seen on their way home or to the office or wherever they're going. Um it's open 10 to 10 daily and 4 mm-hmm. to 8 on Fridays. So it's the same experience center. You're right. They probably don't have enough space to warehouse completely. But sometimes when you're buying a laptop, or at least they know what their most popular products are, they'll go, True. they'll touch, feel, order it for it to be delivered either at the store and they can come and collect it later um, or have it delivered at home. So this, That's is, true. this is essentially enablement of um, omnichannel commerce. Where you yeah, fair it. enough. You Fair order enough. online, and I, pick it up in store, or you know, have a problem, then you don't have to go anywhere else. You have a place to go and return your product. And that's been the frustration with online stores, right? Because then they're like, I need to go and speak to someone, as opposed to just email someone or chat someone where I can't get real customer service. Makes sense. Makes definitely sense. And I guess when something hot like like the Nintendo Switch just came out, they probably stuck a lot of them over there at the sure. service center or yeah. at the fulfillment center. Yeah. Just go pick one up right away, and then you're on your way. Yeah. So it, it's cool. going to be interesting because Souk has also launched a bookstore. So uh, a bookstore they have on uh, Souk. again Souk, yes. Okay. Uh, Was this a prerequisite for the Amazon deal? Possibly. They're calling it a global <laughs> bookstore with six million books on the platform. Interesting. So physical books or like uh, you know digital books? Phys- physical books. That's interesting. Yeah, it, com- it comes a year up. after the year of reading. Um, this is the year of giving, so I hope they would give books away, but I guess not. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that's another focus uh, they have. So increasingly, they're becoming a lot like Amazon, because Amazon, obviously, we all know, started off as just books. And Amazon is also building out customer experience centers across the U.S., um, so it's it'll be, it's good to in fact it's good to see a bookstore get online because um, like you can't go to Kinokonia every week right yeah I mean that's true you can but you shouldn't sort of <laughs> <laughs> cool excellent stuff all right. all right let's move on to the next topic which is the Samsung QLED uh, QLED 
TV launch, uh, I was at the event which happened literally like two days ago, mm-hmm. uh, where you've probably seen these TVs because they were officially revealed at CES. CES. That's right. And Samsung, basically, the event that happened just a couple of days ago was, like, you know, more detail on these on these sets and uh, a little bit more hands-on experience for the end user. So, uh, in a, in total, they have uh, the Q7, the Q8, and the Q9, and then the frame. Uh, did you get a chance to look at the frame at CES, Pavisha? Um, I, I don't, I can't remember right now. I, re- I okay, remember so- re- watching the announcement, uh, but I wasn't at the press conference. I don't think I got my eyes on it. All right. So basically, essentially what it is, is uh, Samsung basically says that, look, on average, a TV is used at about four hours in a day. You know, the rest of the 20 hours, it's just a big black screen that's right. sitting somewhere, you know, on the table or what. Uh, so what they're trying to do with the frame is sort of bring it to a level where it is hung on your wall and it's very much flushed against the wall. So there's mm-hmm. literally no gap between it. And while the TV is not being used, it is actually going to uh, stream paintings from different artists and showcase them you know on your display a couple of very interesting technologies that sort of come together for this is that uh, they have something called the invisible cable or invisible wire i'm forgetting what what was it Uh, so basically it's just a small optical cable that is either five meters or 15 meters in length and goes from the tv to a breakout box uh, so there's no need for any HDMI power, anything at all. Okay. It's literally one small optical cable that comes out of the TV and goes into a box that can be sitting 15 meters away from the TV, completely hiding all your set-top boxes, all your game consoles, everything else. So for a very, very clean, minimal look, uh, it, it looks beautiful. It looks really, really nice. Uh, the TV also has a motion sensor, so when it detects anyone entering the room, the, pa- the painting sort of comes alive and for energy purposes, just dims out while you're not there. Uh, It also has an auto brightness settings for paintings, which means that it'll reflect what a true canvas painting looks like under different lighting conditions. So different times of the day, it's going to reflect a little bit of a different look to the painting, uh, trying to emulate, you know, whatever it is that uh, that's real. Uh, And then finally, they are building an open platform for it where artists can sort of just uh, get on the platform, put their paintings on, and then if you're subscribed to a particular artist, their new artwork appears on your screen automatically and rotates, you know, X X number of days or whatever it is that you kind of set it to. So quite interesting, very, very nicely done. They had a wall which had a mixture of actual paintings and these TVs. And swear to God, you could not tell the difference at which one was the TV and which one was the actual, you know, piece of art. So fantastically done. I think uh, beautiful, beautiful product. Uh, Supposedly comes out in in May of this year. Um, Pricing for the Middle East, unfortunately nothing so far, but they will hopefully hold a launch event in the region and display that. Uh, so that was the highlight of the event. Other and than that, what's, what's had, the size of sorry. the frame? Uh, I think it's fifty-five inches, if I okay. remember correctly, uh, somewhere along that frame. So it's it's a decently sized display. Yeah. Uh, great for paintings, and you know, just beautifully done. 
they had the QLED 7, QLED 8, and QLED 9 series as well on, on Showcase. Yeah. And these are their new high-end TVs. Mm -hmm. Again, they come with the same invisible core technology. Um, and uh, basically just a newer version of Quantum Dot Display, uh, which some people think is not as good from a picture quality point of view as OLED is. Okay. Uh, Samsung claims otherwise, obviously. Yeah. Uh, they, <laughs> uh, so you know, it's it's a uh, obviously. I mean, at the event where I was, it was a perfectly lit room with the right you know color temperatures, right, brightness levels set to exactly set to the set to basically sell the TV, and you know it it looked fantastic. It just looked unbelievably good. Uh, but you know, again, I think Samsung's biggest push on this was not the fact that this is the best picture quality, uh, but a that you can literally mount these with zero gap on your wall, like literally zero gap. They just clip on directly to the wall, uh, so there is no there is no hinge or anything at all that you know that you usually have a couple of inches of space between the wall and the TV. There's right. nothing like that. And then the invisible cable, which just literally completely hides hides all your uh, set-top boxes, your game consoles, and everything. They could literally be hiding, hiding in a shelf somewhere, yeah. you know, across the room. Uh, so, I mean, that was basically their bigger push on just changing the way you use TV and placing, you know, where you place your TVs, uh, not just a better picture quality. Yeah, I think I think that's a great idea, right? Because um, too often in, in technology in general, there's a push for higher and higher specs without necessarily rethinking the product or rethinking the category. And that's exactly what Samsung is doing over here uh, in terms of the fact that they are rethinking of how the product is used. Yes, we pay high prices for a large TV, which takes up a large chunk of our living room and also determines mm -hmm. how we place our furniture. And yet we only use it for three, four hours a day. Like that's about 15% of your day. So Exactly. By by rethinking how how we use this, or at least what purpose it serves, it's great. And they've gone ahead and adapted technology to fit this additional purpose. Um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how it how it actually works in the real living room, as opposed to one where the lighting has been artificially set up. Absolutely, absolutely. And I also think, price uh... points. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. I hopefully it's not going to be insanely expensive. Uh, do you remember LG had somewhat similar concept of a painting kind of TV that was displayed on that was it's yes not last year but I think was it the year before? I'm forgetting, but uh, it was there. But unfortunately, that never made it into a real product that someone could buy. Uh, it was more of a technology showcase. But uh, with Samsung, this is going to be a product that you will be able to purchase. Sometimes in May or, you know, in summer, sometimes around that time frame. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, hats off to them for rethinking what a TV can do. And, yeah, I believe uh, it's coming this spring. Uh, spring is for uh, Europe and U.S. Okay. Middle East is more along summer. Okay, all right. Well, so hopefully we'll have to wait a little bit. Yeah, I look forward to it. At least, at least to the demo and launch event, even if I don't end up getting one. It's It definitely has a way of, you know what I think? Look, all of us have paintings installed in our houses and different rooms. And with this kind of technology, when it comes down to price levels that are reasonably affordable, I can very easily see your uh, 
canvas painting being replaced by a digital display, I'm not saying it's going to happen in the next two, three, four years, but maybe 10 years down the road when this technology is cheap enough that instead of buying an actual painting, you're probably just going to go ahead and put up this display in every single one of the rooms, which will serve as a painting or a, a window to your outside or whatever else it is. Um, you know, I, I can honestly see that in the next 10 years or so. Yeah. In fact, uh, speaking of window, there was a display, a magic window uh, display done by LG, actually. Or was it Sony who did this a year or two ago? I remember this. I, I do remember this. I can't place my finger on which company showcased this. But yeah, you're right. There was something that uh, that did that. Uh, now, I'm hoping that doesn't stop people from actually building windows in their homes <laughs> because <laughs> vitamin D is very important. And I don't think a display will provide you that. But no. uh, nevertheless, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great concept. And I can definitely see it being used a lot more in, in future homes and stuff. I think it has great potential to, to do so. Um, so, yeah, that was the Samsung QLED launch. Something interesting happened while I was... Uh, in Paris for this launch. So uh, I was only going to be there for 48 hours. And I figured, look, it's not enough time for me to sort of go out and buy a SIM card and, you know, um, use uh, use a local SIM for data and stuff like that. So I was yeah. like, you know what, I'm just not going to go out and buy one. Now, since that was not a requirement, I thought I'd take the iPhone with me. iPhone's just because it's got a single SIM card slot, doesn't have deal slots. Uh, like many other Android phones. So I thought I'll just go ahead and take my iPhone. And I am coming back to the iPhone after about two to three months. I, mean, I was using the Mate 9. Pro. Then I went back to the the Mate 9, yeah. the Mate 9, the actual Mate 9. Mm -hmm. uh, then I moved back to the iPhone for about two weeks when the AirPods had come in and I wanted to review that. Yeah. But then right after that, the Mate 9 Pro came in. So I switched to that, and then following that, there was the HTC Ultra, the U-Ultra. So I had used that, and then the P10 came out from Huawei, so I was using that. And so it, it's been almost three months since I've been on Android, uh, and then I took my iPhone with me. Funnily enough, the two days that I was using the iPhone over there, I was missing an Android handset. I was like, you know what? I think I've sort of just gotten too used to Android now, mm -hmm. where the iPhone wasn't necessarily, you know, pleasing me. It was there. It was doing everything it always does. But I think from an OS level, Android has sort of leaped past uh, iOS. Uh, and I, I actually found myself missing using Android. I was like, you know, yeah, iOS is nice, but I don't know, maybe it just appeared a bit too simplistic for my liking now, which is very strange because I have switched to Android a few times and I always come back to the iPhone. So this was the very first time that I came back to an iPhone from Android and I wasn't sort of convinced that, you know what, yeah, iPhone is the way forward. I think it's called so, Stockholm Syndrome, Abbas. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's it's. Um, I know that when the new one comes out, I'm sure I'm gonna go back to it, uh, the 10th anniversary. Yeah. But that's gonna be a while, right? That's another six months away or yeah. so. We'll, we'll probably talk about uh, it in episode 14. Exactly, exactly. But uh, I think Android is winning me over slowly but surely. It is definitely winning me over. Excellent. 
All right. So I think that's pretty much all that we have uh, for you. Not a vast number of topics. I think we did go into plenty of detail this time around, which is yeah. the two or three topics that we did have. Um, you know, a little different style of uh, than than what we're normally used to. Hopefully, Mike is back next week with us. Uh, uh, and hopefully, there's a lot more news to talk about as well. Um, it's been fairly quiet after MWC, which is one of the reasons we didn't do an episode last week as well. Uh, but things should hopefully pick up in the next week or so. And, you know, we're looking forward to seeing you then. Yeah, it was definitely uh, not because we were scared of doing episode 13 and it took us a week to build the courage up. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. So, the Feel free to follow us on Twitter. I'm Aja Ferrali. I'm at Bhavishya. And also follow us on um, at Behind the Bytes and send us your feedback at behindthebytes.ae at gmail.com. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you if there's any questions that you have regarding any companies based on, you know, in the Middle East, any anything that you'd like to know. Happy to reach out to them for you as well. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>